and welcome to Candidly Single Mom Podcast. I am your host, Janine, and I'm so excited to have a special guest on for bonus session as we wrap up our conversation on growing up in a single parent household. My guest, Natasha Kozard, has grown up in a single parent household, but she's also a single parent as well. And so I thought it was so important to get um, a female perspective on how it was being raised in a single parent household and just really have a conversation of her um, journey into single parenthood. Uh, this is going to be an amazing conversation. She is such a good friend of mine. So I would love to welcome you, Natasha. Hey, Natasha, how are you doing? And welcome. Hi, Janine. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure and an honor to be here with you and your wonderful community. Uh, you are just a rock star to me in so many different ways. Uh, your friend, a counselor, an ear to vent and rant on, a prayer partner, you're all that, and a bag of chips. You're creative, you're a great mother, wonderful in business, and um, I just count it an honor to call you friends. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Natasha. Well, you as well, you have done amazing things, are currently doing amazing things, and I want, before we even start, just to ask you to tell everyone a little bit about yourself um, and about some of the amazing things that you are doing. Um, yeah, sure. No problem. Of course, my name is Natasha Kozart. I am a marketing and monetization mentor, meaning I help take entrepreneurs um, and turn them into influencers so that they can turn their passion into profit. Um, I do that by helping them monetize their business, get more leads, and uh, so that they can ultimately earn more more business and to grow their companies. Um, in addition to that, I am a single mother of six and also reigning Miss Georgia. So my life is never dull, <laughs> never a dull oh, moment yeah. is what I yeah. usually say. And uh, we always have something fun going on. Um, I get an opportunity to empower other mothers similar to yourself, uh, Janine, and uh, show them strategies of how to utilize their passion and their natural gifts so that they, too, can have financial stability and freedom to be the best mothers that they would love to be and not sacrifice their career for that instead. Yeah. Yes. And that's so amazing. I call you like uh, the super mom, you know, and awesome. the one thing, just even in observing you and how you are with your kids, um, you're so amazing with them. And you can tell, you know, that they love you. You guys do fun things. You're so in tune with them. And it really um, helps me to um, want to be a better better mom to my kids. You know, I think sometimes we all struggle, you know, with this parenting life, um, even as single parents. But I just want to commend you um, for being able to, and I don't think it's juggling. I think that you just have found harmony in what you do as a professional um, and what you do, which is key to your purpose. And then mm -hmm. here you are, an amazing mom to wonderful six um, young children, kids, they're amazing, and just seeing how they're growing and they're flourishing. So I just want to commend you on that, Natasha. Thank you. Yeah, I think that you're just amazing. But 
I know that bringing you on today, we wanted to continue the conversation with um, growing up in a single parent household. So I want to give you the opportunity just to share your story, how it was when you came up as a, um, a young person, you know, with your mom, and just kind of start with that. Um, the main question I would have would be, you know, when did you realize that your household was a little different from um, others, you know, with two-parent homes? Yeah, my household actually wasn't different because I was in the inner city of Memphis, Tennessee. So that was back when uh, you had old-school great child rearing, you know. Uh, I did not get raised the way millennials are raised today. You don't have a voice. <laughs> you don't have an opinion or a perspective. If you want an opinion, I will give it to you. And so my mother, who was actually raised by her grandmother, was raising me. And so I was basically being raised off of, you know, three generations of uh, rules, regulations, not necessarily a slave mentality, but definitely obedience. And um, there was but at the same time, there was no limit to what we were allowed to accomplish or to achieve. So my my household was pretty normal as far as I knew. Uh, I didn't. I was happy. I didn't have everything I wanted, but I knew that I was loved at least by my mama. Yeah. Nobody else loved me. My mama loved me, and uh, we were like you know we were inseparable. Growing up, I just remember being her shadow and sticking next to her. Mm-hmm. And uh, she could do anything. She was valedictorian of her college, so I was proud of her. She joined a sorority. I was even more proud of her. She was able to go to medical school to become a doctor. And my mom could literally do anything. So I never felt there was a deficiency. I never felt that anything was wrong. It was just my normal, you know? Yeah. And that's a good perspective because, you know, when I've talked to other people, um, they felt like they did notice, you know, the difference between being in a household with one parent versus what their friends were in a household with two parents. And they felt like there was um, a void in their life. And so as you're telling it, you didn't have that void. You didn't feel like there was anything missing, which I think that that's such a unique perspective. Yeah, uh, I think it's all in the way that you look at things. For example, Mm -hmm. being a single mother now, my children know the difference of what it was like to live with their father in the home mm-hmm. and then to live with him out of the home. So they have that um, that dividing line. The older children um, have that. But the younger ones, you know, they were too young to really remember. So for them, it's just their normal. They get to go hang out at their dad's house and have fun. Then they get to come to mom's house and have fun. Uh, they don't feel like they're missing anything. Well, the younger ones, I should say. The older ones, it really depends on the way they communicate, the way it is communicated to them. Mm-hmm. And if it's, if it's framed, oh, you have a broken home, things aren't supposed to be this way, you know, and, and, and you are trained from a perspective of lack or deficiency, then that's the way you're going to look at it. But if you are just taught that, hey, everything's going to be okay, you're normal, you're happy, you're healthy, you have everything mm-hmm. that you need, let's be grateful for where we are and the relationships we have, then that's the kind of perspective you'll have. And you can really see that in my younger children. They're very, very happy all the time. The older ones, they're getting used to it. Uh, but the younger ones are very happy. And that's how I was. No need to worry about anything. I wasn't missing out. Right. And so your mom pretty much was the example that you needed 
to show mm-hmm. that there was no restrictions or limitations because you were quote unquote in a single parent household. And one of the things that I stress is um, the fact that you know there is a stigma out there. There are stereotypes associated with single parents, single moms especially. Mm-hmm. But really, my voice and me trying to kind of um, advocate to say that even though there is a difference, it's not a negative per se. And just yes. like you said, it's it's a perspective. And it's how we as single parents, you know, talk to our children and let them know. But it's unfortunate that society tends to group that into that um, stigma of a broken home or as if the children are lacking something. Um, mm-hmm. So let me ask you, you know, as you were raised with your mom and you said that you had your grandmother there as well, and was that something that you felt reinforced you as a young girl growing up, having that um, the generations of people in the house to kind of help you? Yes, yeah, so I had my grandmother and my great grandmother. My great grandmother mm-hmm. lived across the street, and my mother that my grandmother lived on the other side. So we we would oscillate between homes based upon where my mother was needed because she was the oldest uh, sibling. So, um, well, the oldest female sibling. So she a lot of the responsibilities of managing the home fell on fell on her when my grandmother became sick. So uh, she would either stay with gra- great grandmother or we would stay with grandma. Um, one or the other, wherever her services were needed. And, Mm -hmm. yes, I was just always surrounded by strong women who could Mm -hmm. do anything. I'll tell you a little bit about my great-grandmother. My great-grandmother, she was managing not only her four children, but each of their grandchildren. She kept up with us on the during the summers and the weekends. She kept us while our parents were all at school because they were all young. You know, that was before it was cool to be pregnant as a teenager or before it was popular or there were um, services provided for young people and they didn't trust the government services because they didn't know if the children would actually be cared for or looked after. So for the best interest of our kids, we, uh, for our family, they sent all the grandkids to big mama's house in the summer. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. our summer camp was at big mama's house and she would sit on the porch with a switch and some sweet tea (laughs) I love it. And you're not running in and out of the house. You know, you know when the um, the stories are on. Basically, the soap operas will come on in right. the morning. But you would get three square meals a day. And in the morning, you can be in and watch the stories with her. But you got to be quiet. Right. Um, and then in the afternoon, you could go outside and play. But everybody took a nap. I don't care how old you were. You were going to take a nap. After lunchtime, everybody took a nap. And uh, then after that, you go outside and don't come back in this house till it's time to eat. So we had, right. you know, it ain't no, listen, we did some of everything. We knew our neighborhood inside and out. We knew everybody's front yard, backyard. We hopscotch, jump rope, play jacks, kickball. We did everything we could do. In that neighborhood, we made the game, played in the old cars. You know, we sent the old cars. You know, everybody got the dilapidated cars in the front yard. But right. we had our vehicles. We were the Flintstones. We were some of everything. Our cre- creativity was explosive because we had to make fun for ourselves. And uh, that was our community. That was our life. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? It's, it's even um, bigger than the community. It's your village. 
you know, and mm, yes. I feel like there's a distinction between a community and a village. Community are the like-minded people, you know, there's similar things that you have and things in common, but that village, they're the people that can tell you, like Big Mama can switch you if you are acting up, you oh, know, yeah. and, and put you back in line, that she had permission to do that and to mm-hmm. kind of impart into you. And it's more intimate, you know, than what a community is. And that's what you had. Um, and yeah. I think that's so amazing because um, now we're seeing maybe a difference, you know, with the generations coming up that there's not really that sense of that community, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I won't say it, you know, blanket for everybody, but, you know, where is the big mamas? You know, where are the, the grandparents that you can yeah. drop your kids off and you can kind of go? Where's that support? you know, for your that your mom had, uh, where you can kind of be able to go and pursue your education or work, you know, or whatever it is that you need to do to provide for your household or even having that break for yourself as a single mom that you can mm-hmm. have these people that you trust. And I talk to so many um, single moms especially, and they feel like they don't have that anymore, mm-hmm. you know, in today's yeah. time. Where we've, mm-hmm. ha- we've had that. I grew up like that, Natasha, even with my parents, my dad being in the military, we still had community. You know, my parents drove from Oklahoma (laughs) all the way to South Carolina to drop us kids off at my grandma's house. And the same experience you had, we had, you know, we had that community. And we, I have both parents in the house, but it's um, so important for us as single parents to have that type of community. Wouldn't you agree? I absolutely agree, and one of the things that um, that I've actually kind of started to do is reach out to other families and moms mm-hmm. that are in my neighborhood, and uh, I do realize that even just next door to me are girls that go to our same school, down the street, around the corner, mm-hmm. people that are still in our same school, in our neighborhood, and um, just it takes effort to stop what you're doing, to get out of your little bubble, Take off your right. bonnet <laughs> and walk over and say hello <laughs> to the neighbor, and uh, and just to show some effort to be a part of something bigger than just you and your you know your your little uh, what do you call it like your small group or your own you know right. your internet circle. And when we're able to do that, even if people don't respond, even if they are a little, a little put aback, even if they feel like it may not be genuine, I believe that as I continue to reach out, continue to build those relationships over time, they will get stronger and then we'll know, hey, you know what, I can rely on, you know, we can maybe have some sort of a carpool system or, you know, right. even a birthday share or even homework study groups. or There's just something that we can do to begin to care for one another and love on each other that is um, – that is real, that is tangible, and that can be life-changing. And I think yeah. getting out of that bubble is so important. We're, we all, especially in the era or the time of COVID, you know, mm-hmm. um, being in that bubble and getting used to that and, you know, being brave enough to say, okay, I need that community, so let me go find it. Let me get out of my house and go find it. Let me ring the doorbell and being okay with getting to know who your neighbor is um, mm-hmm. if you don't have the family that is around to support you. So I wholeheartedly agree with you on that as well. Um, let me ask, and kind of just getting back to your childhood and how things were um, with you and your mom, and I know that it sounds like 
you know, with the strong community that you have and those strong women that um, raised you um, and really people that were examples to you, did you ever feel like um, that you missed your, a father figure or a male figure in your life? Now, I had uncles. My mother has two brothers, mm-hmm. one younger, one older, and they were all of the father figure that I needed. I could talk to them about anything. They were always present. They showed up when I needed them. We all lived under the same roof for many, many years. Uh, I was able to watch my oldest uncle get married and, you know, build a family, have a wife. I was able to watch my youngest uncle do the same thing, you know, years Mm -hmm. later, as he cared for my grandmother. So they were powerful representations of what it meant to be a man, what it meant to care for women, care for the household, how to uh, manage their finance, to work hard. They were amazing. So my uncles were, you know, powerful men who loved me. And even when we moved away, my mother uh, ended up going to medical school, of course, and we moved Mm -hmm. 500 miles away from all of our family. We had people within our back. We were uh, members of Friendship Baptist Church in Johnson City, Tennessee, um, or... um, I know friendship, and I, and I feel like I'm saying the wrong the wrong church name. But we had a church that we were. Um, was, Reverend Charlton was the pastor. He just recently passed away, but mm-hmm. you know that church home was our family. You know they picked us up for things that we needed. We had you know even being a part of the choir. My family, of course, has always been musicians. So uh, as it pertained to singing and showing up at events, we had, um, you know, Karen and Robert. They were the, the over the choir at that time. And, and my mother was in the college, you know, the college choir and also a part of the church ministry choir and the band there. So, you know, whatever I needed, there was always someone who could either pick me up or drop me off right. and, you know, give my mom uh, a help if she's working late or if she's in class or she's got an exam. Um, there was always someone. And, and I realize now that in today's generation, they were probably been pedophiles or, you know, perverts that were molesting kids or things of that nature, but I never worried about any of that. We yeah. were always safe. There was, like, our church deacon lived across the street from us, you know, um, the pastor's son, son, you know, son-in-law, like the first family lived around the corner, so I was able to grow up with their kids. Uh, and actually, Tammy Charlton was her name. She was an amazing woman, an educator. Anytime I needed dinner, she was a lot of days she would cook dinner and invite me over. So I just, you know, I was a latchkey kid, so I'd get out right. from school and I'd go over there and have dinner, or I'd sit with them. And if she felt uncomfortable about me being at home alone, she would not let me be home alone. I could stay with her until my mom got home. Um, yeah. Until I got comfortable with you know managing myself or being able to cook for myself and you know, anything I needed, I remember even Karen. Uh, I shared with Karen. She was um, you know Robin and Karen were over the choir. Karen gave me my first instrument. I was able to play flute uh, in band because she she gave me a flute to play. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean that was amazing. Little things like that. I wouldn't have been able to participate because my mother didn't have the money. To pay, and I didn't realize, wow, we were poor, we didn't have money. All I right. knew was I had a need, and it was provided. Right. Um, Karen, she taught me how to get ready in five minutes. She's like, well, honey, you're going to have to hit the hot spot first. Curl the front of your hair, and then curl the sides. And if you have time, you get to the back. But if you don't have time, you'll at least be ready to go, and you won't be late taking a long time. You know, just little things like that. She was really sweet. Yeah. Um, we had other college students, you know, some of the other medical students living next door, you know, 
I was, you know, boy, you know, having problems with boys and my mom didn't have a chance to talk, they could talk to me. Okay, honey, well, just don't give them that. Just don't do this. And don't show up here. And don't be a hoe. Like, just move. Yeah, yeah. That made a difference. Right. So it was definitely a village um, community slash group effort in raising me through, um, you know, adolescence into teenage lifestyle and driving a car. Um, yeah. That's amazing, Natasha, because, you know, and again, this goes back to the community. It goes back to the village. And your story is unique because you had a foundation of people, not traditional, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it really helped shape you. And even when your mom, like, I can't even imagine, your mom went back to school to become a doctor, right, as a single parent, but you were still taken care of, you know? Mm-hmm. And I know that that probably was, like, a lot on her as far as the study, as far as the late nights, as far as um, going, you know, what is it, whenever you're done with school, you have to on do call um, and then on-call clinical, mm-hmm. yeah, residency, all of that. And, you know, you're in the midst of this growing up, you know, you said adolescence um, and all of that, but you still have people that were present. And it was not necessarily traditional father in the household. Right. Right. Now, I'll tell you, the biggest challenge for me, though, wasn't really being a single parent, I mean, being mm -hmm. a a daughter of a single parent household. It was more the cultural difference. Um, Okay. My challenge was, you know, going from a black community to an all-white community and Mm -hmm. learning to navigate the racial relationship. That was the more challenging thing, and I believe that's where the community came in even more so, where you know which battles not to not to fight, you know. You choose right. the battles well where they could keep you safe, and you knew, okay, hey, this is the community of, this is where we are. This is where I can find my safe place. That's why the church was so important. That's right. why our sports. Um, and those, the music was so important because we needed those outlets to be able to express ourselves and we could find that community there because it was such a segregated, um, it was still a segregated area, pretty segregated time, you know, in the 90s. Um, right. Even though it should have been more progressive, it wasn't. Well, let me ask you a question. Did you feel like, did you feel like you had to navigate that on your own to find, okay, in this um, segregation, you know, um, moving from one culture that you're familiar with to a different area where the culture is totally different, was that something that you felt like you had to navigate on your own? Or was it, you know, your mom was like, okay, this is this is why I need to plug you in at this church. This is why I'm plugging you in with these group of people. Yeah, she didn't say it that way. But mm-hmm. me and my mom see things very difficult, different. My mother's more like a Mahatma Gandhi, and I was more like a Malcolm X. Uh, I watched my mother go, yeah, I watched my mom go through a racist uh, school where they were Mm. advancing other students over her. There were only five black students in the medical school, period. Mm -hmm, So her mm -hmm. being there was an anomaly and a miracle, number one. Then to be a single parent uh, was a whole other context. So, you know, I felt like, Mom, why are you acting like you're ashamed of me? You know, be happy that I'm here and with you. But I didn't understand the stigma that was probably being placed on her. Right. And then I remember her talking about, you know, the racism and the bigotry that was happening. And I remember telling my mom, listen, this is what we're going to (laughs) do. 
we gonna roll up there late at night and we just gonna crash all the time. No, we gonna Natasha. break all the windows. Oh yeah, she was like, we cannot do that. <laughs> you know, I don't get that. I'm from Memphis. Listen, my father told me she always would never let me fight, but I was like, "This is my chance. This is my time." Right, because right. my mother grew up fighting. She grew up in the inner city. She grew up having mm-hmm. to fight her way to earn her significance, mm-hmm. to um, to earn her place in the world. It was, it was her rites of passage, and I never had that opportunity because right. she always shielded me from that. And I was like, "This is it. They going down, Mom. Come on, here we go." With the and, in the air, right, Natasha. <laughs> I love it. I love it. She was like, no, peace is the way. And I'm like, oh, a piece of steel. You know, how like the whole mud here background. And she just, she just, her approach was completely different and it was completely unfounded. And uh, all I knew was that she was working hard. She gave it all she had and she deserved more recognition. She deserved more honor. She deserved more breaks. Why did she have to fight so hard? Why did she have to get straight A's? just to get the same type of recognition or acknowledgement right. as her white counterparts. Why um, Why were we under such scrutiny um, and the mm-hmm. other students weren't? And mm-hmm. so it was more from that perspective. So I knew um, someone asked me, one of my uh, guidance counselors asked me at one point, Natasha, you know, is it okay? You know, can you just give yourself a break? What if, you know, so what? If you make a C, mm-hmm. is it okay? Mm-hmm. If can, can you just pass with a B average and be okay with it? And my response to them, well, it may be okay for you. Right. <laughs> but it's right. not okay for me. I have to make all A's and then possibly a B if I'm having a bad day. But I don't get the same kind of pass, the same kind of grace system as you get. Um I have to succeed, and I have to be the best. I must win. I can't just go out for a sport and just, you know, right. do my best, and I'll be okay. No, I have to win. If I put my hand to it, I have to be the best because the sacrifice that we've made to be here, the sacrifice right. that it takes for us to accomplish what we've accomplished is far greater than anything you could ever imagine. Now, that is something that floats my boat when it comes to my children. Um, and yeah. the children in this generation, in this age, I feel like they are so entitled and they're so used to things coming easy wow. that when it comes time to have to work for something beyond what's easier, beyond what comes natural or having to be persistent and try, try again and to never quit until you succeed and um, to if, I, if at first I don't succeed, try and try again, you know, they're like, well, whatever. They're right. it's the whatever generation. It's the whatever yeah. mentality. It's like, mm, you know, um, and, and it's, it's the push button mentality. They call our generation the microwave mentality. There's just a push button because everything they yeah. do, they sit behind a screen and they just push a button. And it's supposed to right. happen. And it's supposed to come to them. And it's supposed to work out. And when it doesn't, they're either now I'm in depression or now I just want to completely change courses altogether. And right. um, and so that's something that I'm constantly drilling into my children. No, you have to work. You have to persevere. Mm-hmm. You have to have mm-hmm. determination. You have to um, have a can't quit, can't give up attitude and mentality. You can't be entitled to anything and think that everybody's just going to give you things and it's going to come to you on a silver platter. And no, I do not have to be your BFF. I am today because I'm so amazing and awesome. But if you're if, if tomorrow you don't like me, fine. You deal with yeah. it. I'm cool yeah. with it. 
Yeah. I'm cool with you not liking me. Matter of fact, I'd be happier if you didn't like me because then you'd be out of my space and stop drinking all my Kool-Aid and stop trying to eat my food and go where I'm going and do what I'm doing. Maybe I would get some free time. <laughs> you know, you said a lot there, Natasha. You said a lot, and I want to kind of go back because when you talked about your mom, when you talked about, okay, let's let's just even talk about it, the stigma, right? Uh, the mm-hmm. stigma and, and her having to um, prove herself out of that because she is a single mom, black female, and she is um, having to prove herself far above her colleagues when she was in school, mm-hmm. right, because they have a certain mindset of who she should be and how dare she. That's what it sounds like. And yeah. we get that. We understand that. But how it really um, inspired you, you know, because as you were talking, just by the example that she set, just by the life that she lived, just by the challenges that she went through and you saw and, you know, you might have, what, what age was that when she was in school? How, what age were you? She went to medical school at, I was eight. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, you, you pretty much were fully aware at a young mm-hmm. age, right? Of, yeah. of the, of not only sacrifice, but the challenges that your mom had to go through. And that shapes who you are today. And when you started talking about, you know, when you went to college and in school, because you knew. Um, and I think that is missing. You know what I mean? When, when we talk about your children and even my children, you know, that push button um, mentality, mm-hmm. things come easy. Like they haven't seen or they're not aware or they choose not to be aware of the mm-hmm. sacrifices. And it's not just the race. You know, we're both single moms, so mm-hmm. we both know what we've sacrificed and continue to sacrifice for our kids yeah. to have. But um, just them not being fully aware of that, you know. Um, and I'm like you. Like, I, I really try to drive it into my children, like, this doesn't come easy. It certainly doesn't come easy. But, mm-hmm. you know, when we talk about different generations and we talk about, um, technology advancements, all of that plays a factor, you know, in how our kids are today. But um, I just want to point out, because you, you, in your conversation, everything that you said, you know, you, you were fully aware. It shaped the way that you do life and how you are as a person, even to this day. And now you're able to fully impart into your children. Like, nah, we're not just pushing buttons. It's not going to be easy. Like, yeah, I want to lift them up. I want to create a lifestyle that right. is a context of um, that is a context of life context of life lessons. So if they're not learning it, I have to create the context. So what I've recently started doing is researching family businesses that we can start and work together. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. my my job, and I'm like, we could do this so much easier if it was just a YouTube channel and everybody could have their YouTube channel and they could work that way. Right, but it's right. not the same because technology is easy and fun for them. And not that I don't want it to be easy or fun, but it's that um, I want them to learn to value the output of physical extra external activity. So right. not that it's so super strenuous, but I want them to have that extra external activity that you put in your body, your your thought, your creativity into an act and that act translates into some sort of recompense. 
Right. They need to have that connection. And then out of that, now you can learn to work with your mind and engage your thought process and think for a living rather than to work from the sweat of your brow. And I think just having that progression, because as a kid, a lot of times that's all you really can do. Okay, I can do a paper route. I can um, babysit. I can cut grass. I can run errands. I can be a personal assistant. Those are things that people used to do because we didn't have the money. We had to find it Correct. and figure it out. Correct. And that developed character in us. That developed mm-hmm. determination. That developed, it, it kept a goal ahead of our minds that, okay, if I want a car, I've got to figure out how to get the money for that car. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I'm going to go work as a waitress. I'm going to go um, and do whatever fast food job I can do. I'll work at McDonald's. I've worked fast food. I know what it's like to have to flip burgers and to make this. I was actually a biscuit maker at McDonald's because I like getting up early, so I'd get up super duper early in the morning. I'd be there by 4 so that I could make the This was before they started doing the biscuits frozen, okay? Right, so this was right. during that transition. This was, was real doing, McDonald's. <laughs> yes. I was still a homemade biscuit maker. So I would come in, I put all the ingredients in, I would knead it, and that was my job. I would get, do the biscuits, and then by the time the first batch, first few batches were done, I would make enough batches to last us through that 10 a.m. rush, and then... Um, and then I would go hit the window, and I would greet people. They said, you have a wonderful personality. We want you to be the first person that people see. And so I would be mm-hmm. on drive through. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that was my fun job. And actually, Carlos, one of, one of the guys from our church, <laughs> uh, Carlos, he was the manager, general manager at McDonald's, and he hired me right, yeah. um, right out of college because I wanted and that's what I did in college. High school, I did all other kinds of jobs. But out of college, I wanted to uh, build a lifestyle that was not dependent on anyone or anything else. Right. Until I learned how to utilize my gifts. I learned until I utilized how to maximize my mind and right. to turn my knowledge. And, and as the information culture, and as the information economy was growing, um, and now I've learned how to maximize that and utilize it as an adult, but back then it didn't exist. And I think we need to create those kind of what they are going to call Flintstone or Stone Age concepts right. for them to begin to learn how to engage, how to develop some of those skills that they're missing. Because otherwise, yeah. there's no other way for them to learn it. They can't learn it on Fortnite. They can't learn it right. on GTA. Right. They can't learn it from behind a computer screen. You've got to physically get up pick up a bucket and wash something. <laughs> right. You right. gotta get your manicured fingernails dirty. You know? Boys have gotta know what it's like to have calluses on their hands. Yeah. Well let's and talk not about that. Gaining weight all day. Let's talk about that as far as as far as you as a single parent with your children because your approach is so different, you know? Um mm-hmm. getting them out there showing them, helping them to think for themselves and get away from the ease of pushing buttons, technology, and, and you know, um, just the laziness, I guess you could say, that we've kind of, we mm-hmm. all fall into it, really, because everything's easy, accessible, right? We can access mm-hmm. things easy. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I, I kind of talked about was, you know, overcompensating uh, for the fact that my children's father was not actively present, you know, in Mm -hmm. their lives on a daily basis and the feeling of guilt 
And so the overcompensating was leaning more into, okay, well, let's make it easy for them uh, versus let's pushing them out, you know, to learn. Like you're helping your kids start a, a business, you know, which is amazing. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I told somebody else, you know, me understanding that I need to be need to be um, a little bit tougher in certain areas because they need to understand the fruit of hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, without you kind of going back in some of the specific things that you're doing with your kids, just overall just parenting as a single mother, um, how, how are you um, dealing with stigmas? How are you dealing with um, just grooming your children to kind of get outside of a societal mindset that they are lacking and, you know, getting them into that place of, you know, you already shared some of that, of um, thinking for themselves, you know, feeling as if and seeing that they're not missing anything and helping them grow to be like these adults that add to society, that they're not in a broken home. That was yeah, a lot think, that I just said. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think it all it, it all boils down to exposure. Yeah. A person will be as open as they have been able to either um, explore in their own within their own mindset or in their own context. And so if they have a limited mindset, a limited view, it's because it's mm-hmm. a limited mindset. It's typically because they have a limited viewpoint or a limited vantage point. And if you take them a little bit higher, show them a few different options, oh, then now the world opens up to them. And this is something that I used to learn from reading. You know, as we were kids growing up, we had encyclopedias. And I literally used to read the encyclopedia. And Mm -hmm. that gave me so many things to think about, so many things to explore, so many things to question and wonder. I wonder what Brazil is like. I wonder what, you know, uh, North America or China is like. I wonder what birds do when they're flying. Like, I had so many questions about life, but I could read encyclopedias and continue to explore. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like for our children, they have so much access to so much information, yet little access to real experience. So that is my uh, that is my my mantra for this summer, and I, I believe as we're talking about this, I'm actually able to flesh some of it out out loud, even as we're sharing now. But mm-hmm. I've been playing around with this concept of a no fly zone all summer. That this is what's going to be no tech, no technology in everything right. that we do. Meaning, and so what I mean by that is that over the summertime, you guys already know that when the kids are not in school, they could literally stay on the video games or on their phone or the computer for 99 hours a day. (laughs) They literally could do that. And don't come up for air, no showers, no food, no breathing. They just go. And they can stay plugged in the entire summer. And I'm really thinking about unplugging them. So this would be a summer unplugged. Now, the challenge of that is that I live on my work, my business, all of that. (laughs) So mm-hmm. I'll have to figure out when I'm going to work, and maybe we'll have an hour a day that they can check emails, respond to friends, and things of that nature. But I'm literally going to unplug them, and every day we'll have a new opportunity to explore the world, to experience something new, to do something different. Now, all of excuse me, that all of what that is. I don't have a 100% schedule out just yet, but 
Some of the things I like to do are going to be rock climbing. Uh, we'll definitely go to Stone Mountain. We do that every every so often. Um, the skydiving, uh, the different things they can do are paddle boat. We can go kayaking. Um, and that's just one week. Then the next week, I would love for us to travel, to fly somewhere, hit the beach, um, hit the cave, go to uh, amusement park. So there's a lot of different things that we could do, whether we're at the Lego Museum. Um, there's a ton of museums here in the city of Atlanta that we can attend. Um, whether it's visiting family, uh, playing a new sport, going to a camp. I really only need 20 different activities and then maybe just 10. And if they like one of those, we can do it twice or do it for two days. Right. Um, but I'm really looking at this summer as basically summer unplugged. And uh, the morning time we'll do some type of educational um, enrichment for each of them, reading reading books with your physical eyes, not on a digital device, not right. on a computer, mm-hmm. physically reading a book with your eyes, and then going out to explore. So that, my friend, is going to be a chore. And I know my hair, all my hair is going to be turning gray. The hair on my toenails is going to be turning gray by the end of this summer. <laughs> <laughs> but they are going to learn that. And um and then if we do start that business, it's actually um and actually it's actually a snow cone business. And we were at a snow cone stand the other day. They were like, This could be fun and I asked them, Hey, do you guys think this is something that you could do? And I, I got the specs from the owners. They told me everything that we needed to do and mm-hmm. I really think that's something that even down to my seven year old could literally be a part of that, and we could make some good money over the summer. So maybe it'll be just that, and maybe they'll be so snow coned out that it doesn't matter. But if we have a mobile snow cone business where we could travel with it, then we could literally set up anywhere and um, travel the world and still make money. Yeah. So I just, you know, the way that you think is just so different from anybody else that I've really talked to as far as, you know, these are my kids, this is what I want to do with my kids. You know, you're really elevating them and you're challenging them and you're kind of pulling them outside of the box. But then you're still bringing what worked in our generation. You know, we have the lemonade mm-hmm. stands. You know, we had the paper routes. I'll never forget me waking up early with my brother one day and going with him because I thought it was so neat that he had a paper route. So I helped him with his paper route. Um, and just helping them just understand the fruit of hard work. You know, and your perspective in the way that you parent as a single parent, right? It's not even the fact that you are a single parent. You're just being the parent that you are, you know. And, and I think when we talked earlier and we started our conversation that your, your younger kids, they don't see or really feel like there's a void. This is normal for them, you know. This is the norm for them, and they're still thriving. They're still flourishing. And then your older kids, they know the distinction between the two, but they can have those conversations when they need it, right, Mm -hmm. and to understand, okay. But they're still thriving, and they're still doing great, you know, and the fact that you're able to hold it down, and, you know, we say hold it down, but really you're holding it down. Not only you have your own business, you're an entrepreneur, you're Miss Georgia, but you have um, the forethought of planning a whole summer for your kids, Yeah, you know, to help them be contributing people to society and not falling into the traps of, 
you know, playing video games all day, you know what probably the average kid is going to be doing over the summer. But you're thinking far ahead, you know, for their future, for their life. And it, and me that just tying all of this together, it's just based on the example that not only your mom set, but your grandma and your great-grandmother in the community that you had. Yeah. I love the scripture um, in the Bible that where Timothy is being admonished by his mentor. And he says, mm-hmm. hey, you know what? Yes. Your mom and your grandma set a wonderful mm-hmm. leadership principle for you. He was from a single-parent household. And he yes, grew he up to be a powerful young man. And he changed the world, not just with his words, but with his actions and the legacy that he's left for generations later. Hundreds right. of years later, we're still talking about a young guy by the name of Timothy. And um, and that's what I believe our children have the capability to do. And if we, and I, I'm not saying that technology is bad or that we should, you know, eliminate that because I definitely believe it's necessary. We'll probably have a GoPro mm-hmm. with us the whole time filming every part of our experience. Um, but I believe that if we don't do different, we'll never get different. And right. if we really want to be those who are leaning into the cutting edge of what's happening in the future, that we've got to stop just being followers of what everybody else is doing and right. find a way to lean into the future and almost pioneer a new way of connecting with our kids, being present, not necessarily expecting um, Sony and uh, Xbox and PlayStation to raise our children for us or expecting right. YouTube and the iPad to be great aunties and nannies, but we've actually got to put in the work, um, sacrifice. I'm going to literally right. have to work from 3 a.m. to 6, uh, if I wake them up at 8 a.m., I'm going to have to work in the mornings from 3 to 8, which will be my morning time, and possibly some in the evening. Um, I can get a couple of hours in in the evening, and I'll literally have to do that for an entire summer so that I can prove to them that we can live a summer unplugged. Yeah. That's a huge and it's worth sacrifice. It. Yeah, but it is so worth it because you know I'm going to be taking naps. I'm going to conk out about 2 o'clock. <laughs> and then by well, 8 o'clock, I'm going to I'll be so sleepy. I know you, but I won't say anything about, you know, the nap habit that you have. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to talk about that. Every time I was a little girl, I don't know if that's just me being with my mom and just learning how to adapt, but listen, mm-hmm. I can go to sleep anywhere. Me and my mom used to be riding the bus. We used to be on a bike. I could sleep on the back of a bicycle while I'm holding on. Sleep. <laughs> Take right. it nap. I have learned how to sleep everywhere. And uh, so that's not exactly good when you got kids who will sneak and, you know, jump into stuff and get into things. Uh, so I try to stay up as long as I can. But, guys, if that's what I got to do, I'm going right. to I'm gonna do it. If I got to start drinking Starbucks, um, at 7 p.m. just to stay up uh, and beat them every day. I'm going to do what I got to do because I am determined that I will not raise the next generation of um, of kids who are going in and shooting up school. I right. will not raise the next person who is, I mean, I, I'm so sorry for what George Floyd experienced, and that was a very difficult experience for me mm-hmm. to watch a grown man laying on the ground on his last death, on his last moments of life, crying oh out for God. his mother Mom. and saying, yeah. you know, Mama, and knowing that his mother's passed away, I'm coming to see you, Mama, help. And realizing yeah. that, man, either she wasn't equipped or he had to make some some unseen choices that would allow him to be in this context and situation. Either way, 
as a mother, I always feel responsible. Either I yeah. should have done more, I should have done more. You know, what else? And, and, and I will not stand before God and watch my children in their last days and say that I didn't do every doggone thing that I could right. to make sure that they had right. everything they need. Principles, mindset, um, mm-hmm. heart, determination, the discipline, because I only get one shot. I only get one right. shot at this. And I always make this joke that, uh, that if you have a kid who's, you know, a little bit off, and disappointing to you, don't worry. Just go back to the drawing board and have about five more kids until you get that one kid <laughs> who makes you feel better about all the bad parenting choices that you made with the other kids, and then you're good because one out of six ain't bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> and I saw um, you, your little one, you know, what she wrote, um, which I thought was just amazing, you know, and mm-hmm. I think – we don't think that our kids see, or maybe, you know, depending on the age that they know, but they see, and they know, and and they know that you work hard, and they know that you're a great mom, even the older ones that are in that teenage mindset, come on, I've got a 15-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 15-year-old, yeah. but they do know, they do know, um, and for you, Natasha, you didn't let anything in your life, in the experience, the way that you grew up, be an excuse for you. You didn't grab on to the term single parent, single mom, product of a single parent household. You didn't grab you not a victim of circumstances, right? Yes. Definitely. Yes. It shines through you and the way that you have presented yourself and um, all of the accomplishments and even the way that you are teaching your children. Mm-hmm. Like, if we can just get that, Natasha, if we can just get everything that you've said and the fact that you are going all in for your children and you're getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning, now, folks, I'll stay up late. I'll stay up till 3. <laughs> I don't know about getting up at 3. But yeah. the fact that you have such um, a high regard of the responsibility and the gift that God has given you in the six that you have and the fact that you get that one shot. Mm-hmm. And you see, and you've experienced, and you know the sacrifice, and now you're able to groom your children. Like, that's amazing to me, you know? And, and it's so, our kids need to know, you know, what what we are kind of sacrificing and what my parents sacrificed and my grandparents sacrificed. They need to understand that we still need to tell those stories, but not from a place of victimhood. And you you're do so this right. so well. You do this so well. You're so right. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate um, just everything that you said. Um, but yeah, I, it's it's my responsibility, and mm-hmm. it, it was some very difficult experiences that I've been through. But at mm-hmm. the end of the day, what taught me in those experiences is that if nobody else is there for those kids, I've got to be there for them. Right. If no one else shows up, I'll show up. If nobody right. else is going to work. I'm going to have to work. If nobody else has got money, I'm going to show up with money. And my children, even though they do um, they do take me for granted, they do um, have some, you know, sense of entitlement and some expectation, well, just mom's got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, mm-hmm. can't you go ask another parent or grandparent right. before this thing? Right. Why are y'all all coming to me? And it's just because they know, they know I'll fix it. They know mom will take care of it. 
Yeah, right. and it, take, it takes me right into the concept of the matriarch. So I've been developing this concept uh, regarding the matriarch as this female figure. She doesn't have to be single, but she's definitely mm-hmm. a light. Um, she's a, a mentor. She's a, mm-hmm. an example. But she is a problem solver. And mm-hmm. she's training the next generation to follow in that way. Um, her legacy will be those who look to her for support and found it. Right. Those right. who look to her for wisdom and were able to glean from the decisions that she's made. Um, those who she was able to correct and redirect. Um, that's who the matriarch is, and that's who we're almost forced and required to be in this season. Um, and that's what right. you're imagining. That's what you're raising. That's what you're building. Um, my big mama was the matriarch. Right. Um, that's what I was going to say. That's the matriarch. Yeah. Your concept of the matriarch is the big mama that we knew. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's bringing that back. And like you Who's said, it's mama now. Right. Yeah. Who is? Right. And, is and um, but the matriarch is, is, is not damaged. You know what I mean? Like she, she might have still some areas to heal, but she's mm-hmm. not teaching from a, a, a bitter place. She's not, um, teaching from a, a damaged area. You know, mm-hmm. um, one person said this so great. She, and I was like, this is a mic drop moment. She said, I don't teach from the place of where I have not been delivered from. Yes. She will never teach or groom or try to impart in, some, yes. in somebody's life from the place that she has not been delivered from. And sometimes I agree 100%. People do that. Right, yes. but sometimes people do that. But then you see that, like, seed of bitterness or, or, or unresolved mm-hmm. hurt, you know, mm-hmm. and how that can affect and how that can infect, you know, and, and kind of find its way through generations. And, yes. boy, I tell you, I feel like we're going in a totally different direction. But um, your concept of a matriarch, she, at, at a certain places, you know, there might still be some levels of healing needed, but she's healed, you know, because, and that gives her that, that additional uh, right to be able to impart and not yeah. just our children, right? You know what I mean, Natasha? I laugh because uh, I remember I have um, a young cousin who, uh, was before he got married where we were talking about relationships and um, he was giving me uh, a couple scenarios and I was offering my advice and he just, you know, he really wasn't open to listening to me and he said, mm-hmm. Natasha, I think it's just because you're divorced and bitter. <laughs> wow. It gave me such a tickle because I'm thinking the reason why I can tell you is because I'm divorced but not right. Divorced. Because right. I understand. And just because I am divorced doesn't mean that I don't understand relationships and that I was not an amazing wife. I've even right. had my ex-husband to say, even up to this day, that you are an amazing woman. You are a phenomenal woman. Mm-hmm. You are doing a wonderful job. Thank you for all that you're doing. Honey, I have not heard those words in years. Funny how they say that after the fact, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, can we rewind this about 10, 12 years and, and drop this mindset in you right. uh, and forego a lifetime of frustration? But I'm telling you something. For him to say that and for him to acknowledge it to me, now, I haven't mm-hmm. heard him acknowledge it in front of anybody else. Now, let's see if it'll make it to the nightly news. And once that happened, then then I'll take it to the bank. <laughs> right, right. But for now, you know, there's so much. And, and I'm glad you're saying this because I've been really 
reserved about talking and sharing. So I do appreciate this podcast because it's really an opportunity to open up and, and just explore this can of worms that I have not talked about, the books that I yeah. have written that I have not shared um, or that I shared and then took off the market because it was just yeah. too much. And it's what you said. It, it wasn't time yet. I was still processing. But, honey, mm-hmm. when God steps in and brings healing, God, God supernaturally healed me. Um, and mm-hmm. I can say that with bold confidence. I was with our brother mm-hmm. in the faith, um, Joseph uh, Joseph Foster, and he yes. was um, doing his outrageous women's, uh, outrageous ladies event. And uh, one of the speakers, um, I was serving there and, and assisting them in prayer, in the prayer uh the prayer sector that we were having, the prayer segment. Mm -hmm. And um, the speaker came over to me afterwards and said, Natasha, God is getting ready to heal you from the inside out. She didn't know me from a man on the moon. She placed her hand on my heart, and I did just like they do in the TV. Uh, And like you see on television, like the people fall out and fall under the power. That was me. I fell down into the ground, and I was speechless. I began to um, gasp for breath, gasp for air. But as Mm -hmm. I was gasping, it was like life was entering to me in a new way. Um, Pastor Rosa Herman, she's an amazing woman. And I began to gasp for air. And I began, when I got up, they finally lifted me up from the floor. I had a weight lifted off of me. And I had forgiveness and love in my heart. That had to come from nobody but the Holy Ghost. Because right. at that point in time, I, I started stand-up comedy. But at that point in time, all of my material was centered around him, my ex-husband, and that experience. Yeah. And I could have, it, when I tell you, I didn't even know I was good at comedy until I started talking about them. And I could have anybody rolling on the floor, side splitting, hurt, and talking about this marriage, this divorce, the new wife, mm-hmm. and all of those things that were happening. But mm-hmm. it, it was stemming from a place of hurt. It was mm-hmm. bitterness. I was angry. Mm-hmm. I was mad. I was just, it was all of the above, just because my life was not supposed to turn out this way. My right. perfect textbook marriage was not supposed to end this way. And then it was just only going downhill from here. Um, every decision that he made, everything was just like another stab in the back, another turn in the night. Right. It was so hurtful. It was so overwhelming. And if it had not been for that experience, I believe I would probably be in a dark place of depression. I probably would yeah. have had that nervous breakdown. I probably would not have been able to recover. And my children would still be living with a woman who does not speak to their baby daddy to this day. Yeah. Wow. But God healed me. It was supernatural. Right. And I tell people, go through counseling. Do all the things you need to do. You've got to find healing. If Big you don't find healing, it will poison you. Right. It will right. poison you. Unforgiveness is poison. Bitterness right. is poison. It's like it's like watching someone else drink the poison and expecting another person to die. You know, I or, think as parents, yeah. how can we mm-hmm. heal how can we be a parent to our children, you know, and, and really parent them in the way that they need if we're still dealing with that? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's their father. Mm-hmm. You know, and I need to bring you back on. We need to talk, like, in detail about 
divorce process, healing, and parenting. Mm-hmm. Because what you just explained, I went through the same. I didn't. I didn't get laid out, but not did she <laughs> have to kill me. You it's know, not real until you fall on the floor, Janine. You got to well, fall. Well, I'll tell you. I was, I was laid out on the floor. Um, in a prayer moment, um, this was intercessory prayer in a corner by myself in an old movie theater um, at my old church. And, you know, spider webs, spiders on the floor. I didn't care because it was a sweet moment with God. And I felt mm-hmm. his hand wrap around my heart. We're going to talk about mm-hmm. more about that, though. We need to come back on because we do need to okay. talk about the healing factor of divorce and parenting and, you know, co-parenting. And that's a little loaded. But the one thing that I realized is that I can recall my experience in the marriage and I don't cry and I can tell the story and it's me just telling my experience that lets me know that I'm healed. You know what I mean? Because Mm, I don't feel anything as I talk about the experiences that I went through. And I know that's the same for you, you know, for you to be able to to talk about it. And at this point, Mm -hmm. having this conversation to be open to talk about it. And it's not pulling you in a dark place, you know? You're healed. I'm still smiling. And it's not that undercut smile. It's not, and and I'm not projecting or being passive aggressive. It's real. You know, I really wish him the best. I wish that his family would be well. I wish that all is well for them. But more so than anything, I need my children to be healed and to be healthy and whole. And they can't be healthy or whole if I'm not. Right. Yeah. Mic drop. Mic drop. <laughs> right, right. Oh my goodness, Natasha. I want to. I wish. I wish we could just stay on longer. We have talked about a lot of things, um, and I think really our conversation, if I can kind of just tie a bow on this, is just focusing on the fact that you have these experiences, you've dealt with these circumstances, but you have lived and are living your life in a place of healed and being resilient. And now you are the matriarch. You know, your concept of the matriarch. I like that. To shape your children. Mm -hmm. You know, um, to be these amazing history makers Mm -hmm. and influencers for this world. And that the title, single parent and single mama, holds no weight on you if I could just wrap our whole conversation up that's what we focused on today thank you and you know when I was thinking about bringing you on and us having this conversation and I wanted to be just a free flow conversation yeah ask some questions Mm -hmm. but your level of insight and your level of genius is amazing and I'm not trying Mm -hmm. to puff you up but you really are (laughs) Take it. I'll take it. Thank you. Sure. Take it. You, you really are. And um, and for me no, no, to no, 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 no. even, <laughs> yeah, for real, I, I mean it. Yeah. I mean it, for real. You have a level of genius that I, I, I talk to a lot of people I rarely see, let's just say. And so mm-hmm. I don't ever want you, and this is me putting a mama hat on or a sister hat on, to shortchange yourself in any way. Mm. You've got books. Okay. We need to hear about your books. We need to hear about what you're doing as Miss Georgia. We need to hear about what you're doing as an entrepreneur. We need to hear about what you're doing to build this matriarch concept and how that's going to uh, 
flesh out so you can bring other people that need this. They need you to help them, even single mothers, to parent, you know, in a mindset that um, is healed and not victimized. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're so, right. Natasha, I'm just encouraging you to keep going because you inspired me. Like, the way that I parent and I look at how you, <laughs> you know, the way that you parent, I'm like, oh, I need a little bit of work, you know. But really, it's it's more of being inspired because for you to be a, a mother of six children and to be able to have amazing, healthy, thriving children and you're thriving in your life, it speaks volumes to who you are yeah. um, and your core faith. God, you know, I mean, we we can't do it without Him. Yeah, we you're cannot, so right. right? But you're you just right. To, to have all of this is is amazing. So, um, as we wrap up, I'm going to invite you back on. We do need to talk about divorce and that healing process Let's um, and what it. that looks like. Part we do, two. we do. Coming soon. Part two, right? <laughs> yes, soon. Yes. A podcast near you, right? Yes. Um, but maybe I do daddy, want you maybe daddy drama and then some. Well, you know, because you know, and I think even my goal is just to be very open and honest in these conversations and and mm-hmm. talk real, you know, because yeah. um, there's so much fluff out there, and I don't know about you, I'm tired of the fluff. Like oh, yeah. I, I need real. I need real, and mm-hmm. so um, I hope that that's what I'm providing. You know, bringing people on and having these conversations. But if you can. Just let everyone know, you know, some of the projects that you have going on, um, your books that are out there, how they can connect with you. Um, you guys need to follow Natasha. So, Natasha, I'm going to give the floor to you. How can we connect with you? Awesome. So, um, I'm on all social media platforms at Natasha Cozart. That's like the composer Mozart, but with the C. Natasha Cozart <laughs> on every social media platform. And then if you want to holler at your girl, and uh, you just can text me. I'm at 404-689-0998. I'm 404-689-0998. And uh, let's stay connected. I love it. Thank you, Natasha, for this conversation, for this time. You're coming back on. You're my sister friend. Um, I appreciate you so much. And for everyone that's listening, definitely I want to say thank you for just um, coming on, listening to Candidly Single Mom. This is new for me, and, you know, as I grow, um, I want you guys to grow with me as well. So like this podcast, subscribe. Um, You know that I am on the popular platforms for podcasting. And then as far as connecting with me, you can go to um, my handle, Janine Elizabeth. That is for Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. And if you're a single parent and you feel like you need community, I have a Facebook group called Single Parent Strong. We have something exciting that's coming up. Uh, We're doing a workshop financial workshop. I have an amazing single mom in there that is qualified to teach us. So she's going to be doing that um, fairly soon. But you have to be a part of that group to join. And so with that being said, again, Natasha, thank you so much for your time. And for everyone there, thank you again, wherever you are in the world, whether it's daytime, evening, uh, midday, thank you again for listening. And we'll get you on the next podcast. Take care. (laughs) 